Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please contribute generously to Future Primitive. My friends who listen to Future Primitive, I am welcoming again Philip Shepard, who has become quite dear to myself and I know to you listeners of Future Primitive because I get some wonderful comments that sometimes I forget to uh, forward to him about our conversations. So... I wanted to let you in on uh, on the backstage stuff. I uh, was just calling Philip on the phone on a special number, and it wasn't working. And I immediately went into a form of panic, which I don't even go into when I'm having a serious bump in with a person who's precious to me. So, Philip, what is it about about how the body reacts to these um, technological barricades? Well, I, 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 I wish I could say I'm so evolved that I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I know all too well what you're talking about. Uh, you know, there's a there's a particular way in which in which I, I don't know I, I I think it has to do with the promise that technology makes uh, you know whether it's whether it's the computer and and it promises you know you click the button and it will send your email or or whether it's uh, you know the phone call that doesn't work and and we take this promise for granted and it's a it's a it's a promise um that asks almost nothing of our physical presence. And then, when it doesn't work, there's such a sense of helplessness. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a helplessness that, um, I don't know, it, it, throws, it throws me into a, a state of, of of uh, distraction, anxiety, frustration, and and it's you know if if it used to be I I can say an analogy if my washing machine recently broke and I I could I don't know how many times I took apart my mother's washing machine when I was a teenager you know took it apart look at it fix it put it back together again and it and it runs so I thought oh well it's broken I'll I'll just see what's wrong with it. And I, I opened it up, and I'm staring at, at computer chips um, with, with, with invisible programs. You can't, you can't look at it and read the circuitry, and, and it's, it's, it's suddenly I'm, I'm in the position of having to call the repairman because I have no um, ability to parse it's beyond mechanics all of a sudden. It's, 
certainly a you know a problem that involves software built into my washing machine and 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 this this sense of um, almost of dispossession you know we in in our entire evolution we've grown up hand in hand with the world we've grown up attuned to the guidance wow. it, it affords us and I think that to me that's what being present is about it's about finding guidance in the present moment and and we go into technology and we're already kind of in a in a in a task that asks nothing of the body and then and then we're we're made to feel um, absolutely uh, <laughs> betrayed, I think, when when the promise goes wrong, and and the solution the solution is one that is so abstract that we we forget to be present to it. In our, in whatever capacity we're, we're capable of doing that, and so we we tend not to find guidance in the present moment. We tend to look for answers that are elusive and slippery, and perhaps even beyond our um, ability to, to 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 grasp or to understand. So it is a very odd thing. I I. Um, I, I know that when I need to answer, you know, a dozen emails or something, it is a, it is a soulful battle to maintain my equanimity because the the space into which that task draws me asks it it it, it pulls on or, or requires such a limited little band of the range the the, uh, the spectrum of my humanity and I'm and I'm I sort of I, I'm, I'm I can feel myself being reduced and in that reduction I I tend to. Uh, you know, it, it's a it's an abstract headspace that sucks me in so subtly, and uh, and so when I say it's a soulful enterprise to remain present, it it is. Uh, uh, you know, I think that I think that's almost literal because it feels like my my soul is literally losing ground to the demands of the technology. So the question to the author of New Self, New World, which is your book that talks very much about sensation, would be how to be embodied in a more and more disembodied world. Yeah, it's it's such a huge issue, and and the other the other way of phrasing that is is how to find 
guidance in a world that is telling us we should be guiding ourselves. Ooh, explain that. Speak about that. Yeah, because, you know, we're told to master ourselves and manage our emotions and oversee our thoughts and make them right. So we're, we're, so we're being directed, our attention is being directed into one of self-management. And we think that if we can manage our life and our diet and our relationships well, then we will be happy. And that's sort of the larger paradigm um, of modern living. And and I think this, the, the, the truth of our humanity is, is very, very different from that. Um, we, we feel our life, our, our being, only through relationship. So, in a way, the more you can open to all your relationships, and I like the, the Native American phrase, all my relations, mm-hmm. you know, which includes the sky and the earth and your brothers and sisters and animals and comets, these are all parts of the world that you can come into relationship with. The more fully you come into relationship with them, the more fully you, your being is pulled into existence because it's pulled into existence by those relationships. And, and once, once your attention comes on to the present, there is kinship in everything. There's kinship in this chair before me. There's kinship in the pencil on the table. You know, the pencil, it it came from a a tree that breathed oxygen into the air that nourished my ancestors. There's such an intertwining. Everything, everything I look upon in my house was, was, born of molecules forged in star matter, as, as is every part of my body. So there, there, is this, there is this kinship in which my, my existence literally depends on everything around me. Um, you know, the, the nature of our reality is, is such that, that even a, a, an electron within the terms of quantum mechanics has no existence except through all of its relationships with everything else. Mm-hmm. And when, when we're in that place of self-management, we are stunting our relationships with the world. And it's, it's in part a tug of war between knowledge and feeling. And we so demean feeling, uh, and uh, even as we elevate the power of knowledge in, in our culture, and and it's, you know, to be present can only occur through feeling. Freedom isn't an idea. Freedom is a state of being that is felt, just as creativity is. There's, there's no aspect 
lives that in, in which our full humanity can blossom that is not rooted in feeling. And so, so to, to come out of that, that feeling kinship with the world is to lose all sense of its guidance. And when you, when you have no sense of the world's guidance, then you yeah. have no choice but to guide yourself. And then, you're, and then you're divided because there's one part of you trying to make the other part of you do a certain thing and get it right. And it's a, it's a fraught kind of a situation that, that, that gets tighter and tighter and more and more frenzied um, the more we try to take control of it and, and get it right. And, you know, to me, the antidote of that is to come back to a place of receptivity in which your relationships with the world are keenly felt, your, your, your sense of the present as a whole, you know, the presence of this moment can be felt as a vow with which you come into relationship. And in that relationship, there is guidance and companionship in every moment. Oh, as a vow. Mm. Mm. Well, you speak and, um, and give out, in my experience, we've now spent many intense hours together. You... Uh, in my view, you exude gentleness, I'm sure, as much as you can. <laughs> uh, I, I, I salute you as a fellow human. <laughs> yeah. Um, but here is a very crucial point. Is, is, it's the tension, the tension when I, when I lose it, it's the tension between violence and gentleness. And what does that bring up for you? What can you say? Well, I mean, it's, it's so crucial. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gentleness is a quality of relationship in which you allow yourself to be guided. So, you know, when I... When my children were babies and I was dressing them, you do that with a gentleness that allows you to feel the impulses of the little bodies so you can work with that to slip the arm into the sleeve of the pajama or whatever it might be. So, so, so gentleness is a sensitivity that, that brings you into a relationship in such a way that, that you are guided by whatever you give your attention to. So it goes back to that, you know, that, that root of our, of our humanity in which we can stand in the present and not, not manage ourselves and manage our right responses, but, but find guidance that always, always calls us into wholeness. And, and when you think of that, you know, the technological insults that, the, 
that inevitably come our way, um, it's the circumstances of such insults are not calling us into wholeness, at least not in, they seem not to be calling us into wholeness, they seem to be calling us into a, a maze um, uh, in a dark room that we have to navigate our way through because because the promise has been betrayed and suddenly the phone number doesn't work or the email mm-hmm. won't send or, mm-hmm. and then and then this is something that we we seem we seem to have to guide ourselves we seem to have to have knowledge that will solve this problem for us um, and and it's it's reinforced by this underlying assumption in our entire culture that that what we what we lack is knowledge we don't have enough knowledge if we had enough we could solve our problems and and to me it's a very dangerous outlook because a knowledge isn't going to solve our problems if 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 knowledge um, could dispel our problems by itself as a as a world society we'd be in much much better shape now than we were 200 years ago and in fact we're we're in the middle of of of, of a wave of extinctions on the planet and 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 knowledge hasn't hasn't helped us slow that down knowledge has in fact accelerated those waves of extinction so so the truth is that that when knowledge grows independent of self-knowledge when 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 there's an imbalance knowledge becomes lethal and we think of self-knowledge in the same terms as knowledge we've turned self-knowledge into a kind of grocery list of this is who I am, the, you know, these are my values, this is the TV show I like, and on down the list, and, and knowledge is something so very different from that, because knowledge is something that the world, self-knowledge is something that the world delivers to you. You discover who you are by coming into relationship with the present, and because the present is always an unknown. Who you are is always in flux, always ready to be discovered. So it's a, it's a, that we reach for knowledge, we, we feel um, inadequate because we don't have the right knowledge, and, and that sense of failure and frustration tugs us, you know, away from a gentle relationship um that that might find guidance in the world or might just find guidance in the present although you know the the mind says no no we need the knowledge to solve this problem but you know when you come in when you come into the present in the way that you feel its guidance it it's it's a great simplifier brings things into clarity and then then maybe the next step forward kind of emerges out of the darkness Mm -hmm. 
So, Philip, um, do you feel you could speak to us about what is it to be a mystic in the modern world? <laughs> yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny thing because yeah. we we see we see we see any mystery as a failure of explanation. Uh huh. You know, it's like, oh, there's a mystery here. Let's solve it. That's that's our whole orientation to the, to the issue of mystery and and you know to feel the world, to feel the present, to feel the self as a whole, it's necessary to feel the mystery that makes it whole. And, and we have this fatuous notion that the world is entirely knowable, mm-hmm. even when all the evidence points in the other direction. You know, if you if you if you yeah. talk with with someone well versed in quantum mechanics, they'll say, "Oh yes, well, an electron is a statistical probability, and and it, you know the the collapse into the wave function happens when we observe it, and we you, we can't. There are limits on our knowledge. What 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 moves life?" No one's pinned that down. They they've tried, but but they think that life life will be found by by pulling cells apart and molecules apart and, and looking inside the the minutest particulars of our existence and and life is sustained by a mystery that suffuses Everything. So, if you look at the world with the eyes um, of of nineteenth century or t- even early twentieth century science, you, you will tend to see material um, that is that is shattered into its constituent bits. You'll tend to see this chair independent of this table and everything. Everything out of relationship. It, mm-hmm. it, it gives the sense that things exist in and of themselves. And in fact, there's this wonderful, um, wonderful thought experiment that turns up in a book called Chance and Chaos, mm-hmm. published by Princeton University Press. And, and the thought experiment basically looks mathematically at the remotest fringe of the universe and says, okay, if we had a magic wand and we could wave it and at the remotest fringe of the universe we could eliminate the gravitational field of a single electron, what are the consequences? And it turns out that if you waved that magic wand here on Earth and, and followed a molecule in the air, it would go through about 50 collisions that it would otherwise have gone through, and then it would miss a molecule that it would otherwise have hit. Thereafter, all the molecular collisions in the air would be different. And tomorrow, if you went outside and and 
looked at the sky, there would be clouds that would be different. You'd feel gusts of wind that would be different because the gravitational field of a single electron at the remotest fringe of the universe had been eliminated. Oh, my so goodness. It, it's just, it's, it, it's, it's incomprehensible. So that means when I lift my arm, the universe feels it. Responds. When I, when I allow the breath to drop into my body, the universe feels it. Even when I have a thought, the universe feels it, because every thought is expressed molecularly. So, so the, the, uh, the web that, that, that is woven amongst every bit of our, of our um, material world is invisible, is a mystery, is there to be felt and can never be known. Mm-hmm. I think for, for my work, that's kind of the crucial thing, that, that wholeness, which, which is really so um, inseparable from reality, it, it, it's, 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 it's a quality that reality is never without wholeness. And, and it's a quality that can be felt. That, that electron at the remotest fringe of the universe, even in this moment, is, is, is having an effect within your body, just as the moon is having an effect within your body. And, and you know, the cars on the street, the, their vibration is passing through your body. The, the whole is always there, and it's only a question of the sensitivity and the stillness we can bring to our, to the intelligence of ourselves and the intelligence of our, of our consciousness to feel the whole. And we can never feel the whole without feeling its mystery. And for me, as soon as I, as soon as I open my heart to the mystery that is here now, I, I open it to a sense of, of the felt whole. And this is a whole that no knowledge can ever deliver to us. No objective knowledge. You can't objectively know anything as a whole. It can only be felt. So perhaps um, to uh, be a mystic is to be most participating and also most surrendered to the mystery. So, yeah. And I would even say to reality. Yes. To be a a mystic is to have your eyes and your heart open to reality because there is no reality apart from the mystery, the miracle that makes it possible. So, yeah. I was just going to say how refreshing to to let go of our of our pretenses of of being able to to know it all and of of the calling to make that our duty and let, to let go of that pretense and just allow yourself to feel 
But then what do we do with the fact that there's a crossroads at that moment when um, there might be a crossroads surrendering to the to the unknown uh, there might be uh, pain as well uh, pain from bewilderment how do we maintain the tension between the release and yet the pain that might come up when i when i work with people in my workshop or when i'm coaching i always i always start with the body i'm very deliberate in doing that i i specifically i i bring awareness to the pelvic floor and the perineum that 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 whole pelvic bowl area that that to me represents the ground of our being and and i find that that if you if you begin with a in a grounded place in the body that as you as you open to the unknown you retain the ability to integrate what your senses are dilating into and really what your what you're opening to ultimately is your own wholeness because because your being doesn't exist inside your skin your being is what you discover when you're fully present it's 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 all the relationships that are unveiled through through opening your eyes to the present that sustain and inform and guide your being so when when that mystery unfolds it's f- most frightening when you are most out of your body the body i find understands the mystery it's the it's the head the the abstract faculty of reasoning that is paralyzed by it but the body i don't know feels at home and it feels like it's coming home um and so in my work it's always I'm, I'm, as I said, very, very careful to to start with by bringing awareness to the body and deep within the body before before I encourage people into that vast unknown. Um, Philip, because Philip, let me let me my my intuition tells please. me to interrupt you right now and ask you uh, and invite you um, to do a little exercise with us because we've been saying very profound, I think, I feel, very profound words and perhaps we might take a couple of minutes to do an exercise together that will uh, bring us more deeply into the body.
<laughs> and and my 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 sense is to do an exercise on receptivity, partially because in our culture we're asked to give, give, give all the time, to give the right response, to give the right reaction, mm-hmm. give the right answer to whatever it might be. We're all we're always called to give, and our culture um, creates very few spaces in which you are given permission to just receive. And receptivity is the initiation into that guidance that the world offers because as you as you cleanly just receive the world, it is 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 there ready for you so i would invite listeners to just make themselves comfortable and close your eyes if you wish and allow yourself to just receive all the sensations of your breath and receive them in a way that requires no names or judgments or assessments. It's a place of pure receptivity. And the breath, there's no way, right way or wrong way to guide the breath. The breath moves into the body and moves out of it and It's like a great wave, and you just receive all the sensations that accompany that wave. And then I'd invite you to receive the weight of your body on the chair, or on the floor, or on your feet if you're standing, just be aware of that interface between you and the earth, and receive all the sensations of your body pressing into the earth without naming them or categorizing them, just And in that place of receptivity, bring your attention to all the places where your clothing is making contact with your skin. And just receive without expectation or direction, just receive all those sensations.
they might be, just receive those sensations of the air on your skin. Nothing to do about it. then bring your attention to the sounds in the room and without any need to identify the sound or understand it or label it, just receive the sounds of the room as pure sensations.
when I gently opened my eyes and began to receive what's all around, I had this human, uh, this human, this humorous and gentle thought, which was, oh, in my room, the Joanna story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Thank you, thank you, thank you, generous Philip. So we're coming to the to the end of these meanderings. <laughs> but I'd like to ask you, and I'd like to ask you about your good friend, your next book. How is that relationship going?
that almost defines our culture. What's you know what's enough knowledge? What's enough technology? What's enough control? What's enough security? These are limitless things. And the worst part of it is what's enough gross domestic product? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we've got this economic system that that is based on infinite growth and sees anything less than than strong growth as a catastrophe. But but. But we're on a finite planet. It's, a, it's an economic system that was developed in the colonial era when we were conquering lands with new resources, and, and, and our economic system hasn't outgrown that mentality. And in the meantime, there are, there are no more continents to conquer, and, and, and we're laying to waste the, the little we have. Yeah. So it, it's a... It's a book. It's a book that 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 is designed to expose our thinking um, or lack thereof around the issue of wholeness. And then, and then uh, the second half of the book is about is about physical practices that that help you help you return to to that sense of your own wholeness and help you live through it. Yes, yes, thank you. Well, I want to say before um, we close for this this hour together that uh, you are going on tour, Philip, uh, very soon. And I am. I'm going, yeah. I'm going all over the place. I'm going to uh, Chicago uh, in a couple of days and Columbus, Ohio, and... and uh, Seattle and Whidbey Island and Salt Lake City and and Ireland and Scotland and California. I'm I'm absolutely thrilled to bits to be going all these new places and sharing my work. And uh, people can look at your website and uh, they can find out where they can connect with you along the way. I would love that. Okay. I would love that, yeah. I should maybe say my uh, my website is philipshepherd.com, uh, Philip with one L, and Shepherd is S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. I think there are maybe about 17 ways to spell Philip Shepherd between... Yeah. Between <laughs> I, I always have to be careful how I spell it. So, my friends, we've been talking with Philip Shepard, author of the book New Self, New World, Recovering Our Senses in the 21st Century. And it's one of our many talks with uh, this man who has become a close friend of Future Primitive and of Joanna. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joanna. Thank you, Philip. Mm-hmm.